Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. This is Susie York. Eosinophilic esophagitis, or EOE, is an inflammatory disease of the esophagus that's caused most often by food. For many of you who know this, you might recognize that it's a pretty mysterious disease, and it usually requires eliminating foods to figure out what the triggers are. It also probably includes quite a few endoscopies, and then avoiding those foods and taking medication to help the symptoms. It's lifelong and it's life-changing, and it brings with it the need to make changes to support a new way of living. Today, I'm excited to welcome a guest, Colleen Brunetti, who's calling in from Connecticut. She's a mom, an author, a health coach, and a patient. And she's here to tell us her story about her own life-altering diagnosis, how she chooses to define life on her own terms, and how she cares for her children with food allergies. There's so much for us to talk about, and I can't wait. So welcome, Colleen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Excellent. So there's two books that you've written, and both of them are so relatable to me. Uh, The first you wrote a few years ago called Defining the New Normal, A Guide to Becoming More Than Your Diagnosis. And then more recently, you introduced to the world your book, Aiden, The Wonder Kid, A Food Allergy and Intolerance Story. I'd love to talk about both of them, if that's okay with you today. Yes, that sounds great. Fantastic. Well, since there's a lot to cover, um, everything from your life as a mom, a patient, a writer, a caregiver, I'd love to ask you to share a little bit more so we can get started. Sure. So I guess the big life-changing moment for me was um, when my son was about 15 months old and I was... Um, really struggling to recover from giving birth over the last several months. I had been deteriorating and um, thinking that I was just sort of out of shape and, and exhausted and, um, you know, did everything from like tweaking my diet to buying an elliptical trainer and, and I wasn't getting better. And, um, you know, long story short, I ended up in the emergency room um, because I had nearly passed out from an unrelated thing. And, um, ended up being diagnosed within about two weeks from that ER visit with something called pulmonary arterial hypertension, or PH for short. And I went from being a successful professional and new mom and new homeowner to um, facing my own mortality. Uh, The the PH diagnosis comes with, at the time, it was a three to five-year survival rate. Um, Now it's a little bit closer to 50, 50 at seven years, but I was 28 years old and, and looking at um, life as I planned it, not not happening, mm-hmm. um, and and that was of course very earth shaking. Um, you know, we can go into a little bit more detail in the the book and how I managed that over time, but that's sort of what kicked off this journey. Oh wow! Yes, that's an incredible story. Yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> well, and like many of us with with moms who are moms, when you first have our child, nothing feels normal. And so you really don't know what to talk about with the doctor or just kind of power through until you 
until you have something like that moment. So I can imagine how scary that was. Exactly. I, I literally didn't have time to be sick. Like it was not on my radar that all of these compounding symptoms could be something bigger because you're a mom and you're tired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just, you just yeah. have to do all the things. Uh, and, um, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't tune into my body's signals, um, very quickly in that case, although I've learned to do so since. Oh, absolutely. So in your book, Defining the New Normal, you, you talk about this, the defining moments. And I, obviously that was a huge defining moment. And I'm curious, like, how, what got you to the point of realizing this is a diagnosis in my life, but it doesn't have to be my life? Like, what was that yeah. journey like? So the first six months or so, I wasn't anywhere near that mindset. Um, you know, I always try to tell, especially newly diagnosed patients or parents dealing with a major diagnosis for their child, that the, the grief, the anxiety, the fear, maybe even the anger those are all part of the process and it's okay to feel them when you need to feel them. And that's definitely where I was for six months. Yeah. Um, but, you know, tomorrow is not promised to anyone. And even though I have a major diagnosis it, there, I still had days in front of me. Right. So um, someone actually gave me, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel's book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And he was an oncology surgeon at Yale. And what he talks about is who his patients were who were survivors, um, in his case, mostly cancer, of insurvivable diagnoses. And what were they doing differently? And it really came down to mind-body-spirit integration and mindset. And that was a huge eye-opener for me because there's nothing I can do about my pH diagnosis. There's everything I can do to support the rest of my body and my spirit while I fight pH. And so I made a very conscious choice to focus on that. And I don't want to say instead, because I'm still completely immersed in pH treatments and life, but in addition to, and make that every bit as important as seeing my doctor all the time and taking my medications as prescribed and all of that. So. Yeah. That was the big turning point. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds like a great resource. I'll, I'll want to look into his book as well. And I do yeah. see the the mind-body connection. And an added element to this is, in my case, um, but not everyone's, I'm the caregiver to someone. And I recognize my attitude and my mindset is going to impact my son. Um, and so, yes, I'm going to want to help him with his attitude and mindset when he gets a little older. And I'm finding there's a lot of work for me to do internally to show up in a way that can support him when I would normally probably want to feel anxious and concerned and afraid. Yeah. And it's just as important for caregivers, I think, to, to come to that realization um, and also give themselves permission to feel all the feelings and indulge in what I call radical self-care. Um, you know, just a little bit of yoga or um, you know, whatever brings you peace, like you often have to go further than that when you're under tremendous stress, like you are with a major diagnosis or caring for someone with a major diagnosis. So for caregivers, it's just as important that they address all of these things for themselves so that their cup is full mm. enough to give to the other person. I really like the concept of giving yourself permission because like you said, as moms, like we often put ourselves last and nowadays there's a lot of conversation about being a mom in general and, and wanting to take more care for of who, who you are and it's it's compounded when you've got a more complicated situation. For sure. 
So I hope this gives our our listeners the permission that they need to recognize that the 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 only the children are not the only patients in this diagnosis. Yeah, it's a it's a family affair. It really is. Um, and, and not just permission to do those things for yourself, but permission to do them without guilt. Yeah. Yeah. The guilt um, that's there. The mommy guilt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and it's, it's also not a linear path. I, I've been finding you're right. That first year of Tyler's diagnosis, I had all those feelings, the, the fear, the, the worry, the anxiety, the overwhelm. And it took a, a good year for me to feel a little bit more empowered and, um, capable and yet there are still days when I go backwards a little bit. So it's not completely linear. So I was curious, what do you do to gauge where you are? And and what do you do if you find that maybe you've slipped back a little bit when it comes to supporting yourself? Yeah, so that's such a great question. Um, I, I will admit I still will sometimes push myself too far before I sort of wave my own white flag. <laughs> um, but my body has very distinct ways of letting me know that enough is enough and I need to dial it back or bring on some extra support. Um, and so I try really hard to listen to those signs. For me, you know, my shortness of breath will increase or um, I have associated autoimmune conditions that often come with pH and so my joints will start to ache more. Um, there's a difference between being tired and being like bone tired, fatigued. And if the fatigue starts hanging around, that's a good sign for me. Mm. Um, so I try to be really in tune to those things and then, you know, either go to my go-tos. Like I really actually just came through a period like that where he was like, okay, <laughs> that's enough. Um, so it involved a slight tweak in medication, but I also did increase my yoga practice. Um, because for me, that's so relaxing. It also helps my joints to keep everything stretched out. Um, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and I went to a new naturopath as well. Like, okay, like all of my, you know, Western medicine is very valuable, but I actually need something different to add on right now. Um, so I started a new regime there. <laughs> oh, fascinating. Well, and I know our diagnoses are different, but there's so many similarities through about this whole patient and whole person approach, both having some medical support as well as the naturopath support. Um, so could you share a little bit more, maybe this taps into your health coach background, um, but for the patients and the caregivers who are thinking about this kind of lifelong diagnosis, how do you think about both the medical and the natural parts of, of it? So I think that, you know, I never want to um, minimize the importance of Western medicine, but also acknowledge where its limits tend to fall. So I kind of see Western medicine as this very um, fascinating, incredible box. There's so much that can be done now, right? Um, you know, my medications, uh, a lot of what I take wasn't even on the market when I was diagnosed, and I'm so much the better for science. Um, so always an eye to that. But an integrative practitioner or a holistic health coach like myself, they're going to look more at that mind-body-spirit connection and all of sort of the associated things you can do for self-care. Um, I think the biggest one, without doubt, is food. Yeah. Because food is really nourishment, um, but there's also a great deal of emotional connection to food. Um, whether you're a stress eater or you eat certain ways at certain holidays um, or you're in such a stressful state that you can't properly digest what you are taking in, um, 
that's sort of ground zero <laughs> is diet. Um, I, think, I think for everyone, whether or not food allergies and intolerances are at play or not. Um, so if you're not nourishing your body well and sort of in a state where you can use that nourishment, everything will be harder because of it. Very true. Um, and and food is at the center of the conversation about EOE because food is causing the problem and then not taking that food can help solve for it. But it's so challenging to know. And then, like you said, there's the emotion around the food and the celebratory nature of food in our society. Um, so it's it's a lot to contend with, especially when it can also be the thing that makes you feel better, too. Exactly. And it's that emotional piece that's, I think, and, you know, that's why I wrote Aiden the Wonder Kid. Um because our society is so food centric with, with celebrations and everything. Um, I really think food is as important to people as their religion. Mm. And that might sound like a really big statement, but try to tell an omnivore to stop eating meat and see what happens. <laughs> um, or, or tell someone they can't have cheese. Like people oh, yes. get very emotionally attached. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then to place, you know, place that as part of a major diagnosis or a child is placed in that situation where they're also now having to eat differently than all their friends. And there's a lot to work with there. Definitely. Well, now that you've mentioned the book, let's talk about Aiden the Wonder Kid, both the actual Wonder Kid as well as your book. It's such a beautifully written and illustrated book. Um, So could you tell us more about it and what inspired you to write it? Sure. So Aiden the Wonder Kid, who could not be stopped, was a character in bedtime stories. I used to tell my son. When he was little, um, and they were just silly. Uh, so Aiden is is my son. Rocco is our dog. He's still hanging out here too. <laughs> and um, I used to tell him stories, you know, just make stuff up. And then when his food intolerances were diagnosed, and he went through all of that, um, you know, frustration and disappointment around having to change his diet, um, because to tell a four or five year old kid like, "Hey, no more pizza," right. is a big deal. Yeah. Um, I changed it and made the the little bedtime story superhero have food allergies. And I wrote it down and put it away in a drawer somewhere. And then um, it was two years ago now, I was in a parent leadership class and we had to do a class project. And there were um, a couple of parents whose daughters had celiac and they were teenagers. And these parents were discussing how their, their teens had a lot of social emotional anxiety about going out with friends and dating and managing their food allergies at the same time. And I thought, well, what if we could get to these guys when they're little and sort of empower them to be proud of, of who they are and eating just right for their body and having a really good sort of psychosocial outlook on why that's necessary. Um, and also understand why their friends might have to eat differently. And then maybe, maybe the teen years won't be quite so challenging. That would be cool. So I created the book from there. Oh, I love that. And it's very, very much on my mind, too, to say, how do you build somebody up for who they are as opposed to have them continually think, I'm different, I'm different. Well, hey, you're not, there's nothing wrong with different. You're just another version of right. Yes, I love that. Yeah. And so I love the idea that let's not, let's not take for granted the, the developmental years ahead of being a teenager to, to target the right messaging to the kids. And your book really does that so well. Thank you. And so you've, um, you have a way for people to get your book, and I'd love to share that. It's on your site, Colleen, colleenbrunetti.com. Yes. 
Um, and there, what I also noticed was a great way for people to order packages of them. And it sounds like it's, a, it's something um, that could really help schools to receive a bunch of these books and libraries as well. Is that sort of what you're looking to help provide people do, to do? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm hoping for. So I I used to be an educator. I lost my job when I got sick and um, really probably should not go back because kids are, are very germy. Oh, <laughs> and no. I tend to, tend to be very susceptible. Um, you know, a cold or mild flu for someone else could, could definitely land me in the hospital. So, um, and energy wise and such. So I, I can't go back to teaching, but it is still my first love, my first career. Um, and so what I wanted to do in creating this book is really make it a tool for not only parents, but for educators and teachers are busy enough. They just have enough. So I can imagine. I wrote a common core aligned curriculum to go with it. So if they want to address food allergies, and help kids to be good problem solvers in their classroom, it's a done for you package. And, and the curriculum is actually free. Um, and then, like you mentioned, there's opportunities to get multiple copies of the book at a discount. Either educators can buy them themselves or parents can buy them as a gift or PTA or anything. But I just wanted to make it as, as accessible as possible. Oh, that's fantastic. And what a gift to be able to take the skills that you naturally have and take this book further further by giving the curriculum. So thank you for that. Hmm, it's been really fun. I bet. And what's it like for Aiden to read the book? So thankfully, he still thinks it's pretty cool. Now, he's almost <laughs> a teenager himself now. So <laughs> I wasn't sure, but he's still pretty good with it. Um, you know, he was four or five when we were dealing with all of this, and now he's almost 13. But um, when the books came in last year, he brought one to school and showed it around, and um, he quite likes it. So oh, I love that. And you know, He usually comes with me to events, and he always asks if he can find the books too, which is really cute. <laughs> oh, that is cute. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, for him to be able to look back and say, you know, my mom – cared so much like all the moms but my mom did so much to help support me and those who who have food allergies I think that'll be a great story for him to tell later on too I'm hoping yeah, I know <laughs> oh wow that's amazing well and you also have a daughter is that right we do yep her name is Ella and she is four and a half Oh, wow. Oh, so you're definitely in the mix of it all with an almost teenager and a four and a half year old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody warned me how tiring that would be. That was not, <laughs> that was not planned out very well. I know. It's, a, it's like a little known secret until you're in the club and then they say surprise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's great. And how is she doing? She's really good. So she, uh, her story is a little bit different. She doesn't have any food allergies and intolerances, but she is adopted. And due to her birth history, I've had uh, quite a struggle to grow. And so, you know, I have spent the last decade teaching patients to be self-advocates. Um, and then with Aiden, I had to advocate for his diagnosis. And then with Ella, it was a whole different thing um, because she wasn't growing right. The team she had at the time, their really their only answer was to give her a feeding tube. Mm. And I had that like mom gut feeling about things that that was just the wrong thing for her. Um, they weren't really giving her enough other support. It was sort of like the easy fix. And um, so I brought her actually all the way up to Boston from Connecticut for a second opinion and ended up um, in Boston <laughs> for the last two and a half years going back and forth for her care. Um, but you know, feeding tubes, just like any other science or you know, medication, are a gift, and they're wonderful when they're needed and they work. It wasn't what she needed. Yeah. Um, so by following that gut intuition and 
kind of taking some drastic measures. Um, she's feeding tube free still and tidy, but growing. Oh, oh that's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you mentioned the mom gut and the advocacy. It's kind of surprised me um, in the last year how much advocating I have ended up doing. And I think I'm surprised mostly I'm not in, in the medical arena by profession. And so, and by all accounts, I've been pretty healthy. So growing up, I really didn't have a lot of interaction with doctors and the, and insurance companies. So it really has been um, a challenge for me to tap into that mom gut and to feel okay about it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like you would do anything for your kid, but if a doctor tells you something you don't agree with, why is it so hard? I know. And I think part of it is I can't always articulate why I don't either agree or I don't want to go down that path. And in the face of data or information that they're presenting to me, it's kind of like that on paper, this sounds right. But in reality, this doesn't feel right. But I can't tell you why it doesn't feel right. And I Mm -hmm. sometimes worry that I'm like that crazy mom that's just not, not able to, to articulate what's needed. And it doesn't seem to be enough. But I, I can't help but keep pushing. So I have I've struggled a little bit with tapping into the mom gut and knowing when to advocate and when to go with what I'm being told. Yeah, it's a really hard balance to strike. Um, you know, the doctors absolutely have the kids' best interest in mind, you know? Yeah. Um, second opinions are always good. And usually what I do um, with my kids' doctors, especially up in Boston, I'll just say, you know, give me till the next appointment to try it my way. And mm-hmm. if it's not working, we'll do it your way. <laughs> Oh, that's right? fascinating. Yeah. Um, or, you know, tell me she's not in imminent danger. Um, because if she is, then we're going to do it your way right away. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Fair enough. If not, if I have some wiggle room, let me try. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in whole foods and a clean nutrition. And, you know, I don't want my daughter drinking tea dish, so that's really important to me. Yeah. Um, I've had to fight for that at every appointment. Um, but we've tried it my way and, it's okay. She's still okay. Oh, <laughs> you know, and so they let me keep trying. Um, and that says a lot about the doctors too, to be yes. a partner with you and not just, you know, tell you how it needs to be done and then be frustrated on the other end if you're not following it to the letter. Right. And occasionally you do have to put your foot down, but for the yeah. most part, you know, I think it's so important to surround yourself with a team that treats you as an equal team member. Yes. And, and I see that a lot in the conversations. I follow quite a bit of the, the boards on Facebook. To Part of this equation is finding the doctor that fits. And you just might not know why someone does or doesn't fit. And it's okay if they don't. You don't have to have a clear reason but to keep going until you have that, that sense of confidence. Yes. Have you changed yes. doctors along the way? I think you mentioned that a little bit. but. Um, so personally, I hit the jackpot with my own doctor. Oh, that's great. Um, I've been with him and his nurse practitioner for 10 years, and I'm never, ever leaving. Ah. Um, I have fired associated practitioners um, mm. in other specialty areas. Right, right. <laughs> um, and once or twice, I've had to fight really hard for that, too. Um, we've been pretty lucky with my son. So I did the initial diagnosis. Um, actually, I was studying to be a health coach, and that's when I figured out that his his challenges were food intolerances, but we followed up with a naturopath and, and had a you know test and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, with my daughter, I fired a whole doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that firing them. That's <laughs> and, great. And went to a different state. 
<laughs> I know it. Well, we're we're happy to have you up in in my neck of the woods near Boston. So that's great. Yes, uh, Boston Children's has been the best thing for us. Well, something you just mentioned is actually going to have me circle back to your f- first book, the Defining the New Normal story. Mm-hmm. Um, when you mentioned that you're really clear on something like um, Pediasure, what struck me in your book is the tools and the conversation that you encourage the reader to get clear on who on what's important and who you want to be and then you give mm-hmm. a tool in that about you know walking through your defining moments can you share more about that process and maybe we could even try something as an example for our readers um sure so let's pick a topic here what do we want to pick to work through it i know so okay <laughs> um well, first, let's talk about the tool. So you've got kind of a multi-step um, set of, of tools to use. Um, yes. So each, um, you know, main chapter of the book has a defining moment sort of journaling process to it. Um, so it, it sort of follows like, what, what is your experience in the past? Where are you coming from? Um, because those things have shaped where, you know, and placed you where you are today. How do you feel about that? How is that working for you? Sometimes we have to let go of old habits that are no longer serving us, even if they did in the past. Or sometimes we can't access them the same way. So if you were, you know, have a heart and lung issue and you were a dancer like I was, well, that might not be how you exercise anymore, right? Mm. And you kind of got to deal with how that makes you feel. Okay. We get through that. Now, what are we going to replace that with? Because if it's a constant life of deprivation, I can't, I can't, I shouldn't, then you don't end up in a very good headspace. Mm. So, you know, it might be more gentle exercise. It might be taking yourself to the ballet and doing it a little vicariously um, and finding a way to, to make whatever that thing is that makes your soul happy still work for the situation you're in. Oh, that's really neat. And, you know, it's easy for food allergies and EOE to feel like you're in a constant life of deprivation. Yes. And so I like what what you're saying to replace it with, well, what can you have and what can you do, even if it looks different than maybe the image you had from the past or the image you had for where you thought you might be. Right. Um, and, and I like where you talk about identify why you need something and and what you want to do about it. And then you get down to the action level of how are you going to make it happen? Yes. And those small sustainable steps are really important too. It doesn't have to be all at once. You don't have to do all the things, right? Yeah. Um, Piece by piece is okay. Well, I think by way of an example, um, for us, we, I felt I um, recorded an episode with my husband and we talked about the idea that ice cream was a big moment of celebration for us as kids, for both mm. of our families. Randomly enough, both our families would love in the summertime to go for ice cream. And it was really um, kind of a, a strong memory that we both hold. And now that's something that we need to let go of. So perhaps we could use that as an example um, to show people how to reframe it. Perfect. That's, that's exactly, like, that's a big deal, right? You want to share that with your kids. And, and that was a loss. Like, yeah. You can't in the way you, you had hoped. So how did you reframe it? So we're still working on that, I think. Um, he's still <laughs> little enough that, that he doesn't quite know. But for us, there is definitely a bit of gratitude. Like, hey, now there's more non-dairy options for ice cream. And so it might not be that we get to go to an ice cream shop, but we could still have ice cream at home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's a piece of us that wants to take food out of the conversation and say, you know what, instead of celebrating through ice cream, let's what's an activity that we can hold as a special thing? And I don't know what that will be just yet. It could be everything from mini golf to um, going to the movies, but something that isn't centered around food. Is that kind of an idea of replacing yeah. it? Yeah. That's something I would love to see as an overall cultural shift. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating with food. Right. But it, with the rise in food allergies and, and things like EOE, it's becoming harder and harder to do that inclusively. And the quality of the food with which we celebrate is often not doing anything for us nutritionally. It's definitely emotionally gratifying. Right. Right. That's so true. <laughs> Right. So if we can sort of, you know, transition the children and even us as adults into something like that, making memories as opposed to adding calories, um, I think that would that would serve us all a I little think, bit. Yeah, and that's a great way. So now thinking about, well, how do we do that as we get to your concrete steps? Um, I think it is having a conversation with a family that says, what is special and fun for us? Mm. Um, and I'd love to do it when he's still pretty little, but my daughter is four and we could start having these conversations too. Um, but we we know our why. We still want to have uh, really um, meaningful moments as a family that the kids can look back on as adults and ha- have that serve as part of their foundation of who they are. Um, what it is that we want to work towards is probably non-food related moments of celebration. Mm-hmm. And how we do that, it's probably through experimentation and and discovering at different phases in their childhood what is really special and how do we hold it and keep that special. Um, I'll bet you they'll come up with some really cool stuff. Yeah, I hope we do. And I think birthday parties, I'm excited to come up with what's going to be Tyler's birthday party that everyone's going to realize like, wow, that was really fun. And by the way, we didn't have some, some of the traditional things. Right. So that's fun. Yeah. I really, in reading your book, started to feel so much more empowered over the parts of our story that we can control. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it before, it's really your mindset and your attitudes and then taking action and inspired action towards that vision that, that you are creating. Yes. So, And it's okay to circle back too, right? Like whatever you've picked right now and that it's going to work for a while, it might need to be replaced in the future. And yeah. that's all right too, you know? Um, Actually, all of the defining moments, like the little journaling part in the book, um, I actually need to throw them up on my new website, but I made them downloadable so that if you wanted to go through the book a second time in a couple of years, if you need to recalibrate or you have new things that you're dealing with, um, that you can reapply the same process and find new tools that will work for your current situation. Oh, that's really useful. Thank you. Yeah. And it really speaks to the fact that this is, you're not creating a destination by doing this. It is a practice and it's a practice yeah. that you can revisit as often or as, as, um, as the case may be that you might need to, to recalibrate. So, um, and so I wanted to just kind of in closing, talk with you a little bit about what you're optimistic about, what you're looking forward to, whether it's about the work you're doing, your family, yourself, um, and something that can can keep us all inspired as we move forward. That's such a great question. Um, why don't we hit on each kid here? Oh, that'd be <laughs> um, fun. We'll, we'll go right down the line. Um, so, so for myself, you know, I'm I'm very involved in the Peach community as a and research. Um, and I'm optimistic about where science is leading. You know, there's 
there's a lot of hope that didn't exist 10 years ago for me. Mm. Um, and my plan is to just, you know, keep tapping into what's new as I, as I need it. Um, I've already, you know, hit 11 years and thought I had two to five, three to five. So, mm. um, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> it's like not even an option. Um, so for Aiden and his food allergies, you know, now that he's a teen, um, I'm really loving watching himself advocate and he'll just tell people like, this is how I feel when I have that. So I'm not going to eat it. Um, and he's really, he really has come full circle from being very, very disappointed. Um, most of the time when food was involved to being cool with it. Um, and, and just letting people know, Nope, this is what my body needs. I'm good. Um, so that has been, Actually, really, in the last six months has been a delightful shift. Well, and that's um, a credit to your bedtime stories and now your story available to all of us about Eden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, for the little one, for Ella, you know, um, she's still very much a journey in progress that, that you know, she still struggles, but um, she's doing really well. And I love this stage where, like, just the language is exploding and she's so, like, in love with life. Um, my goal is just to keep her as healthy as possible so that we can do all of those things um, together. She's, she's delightful. So um, we'll see, we'll see where her medical path leads, but um, so far so good. Well, she's incredibly lucky to have a mom that advocates and has a whole person perspective. So this, uh, she's got a bright future. I can tell already. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, we have covered so much great territory from the idea that regardless of your life-changing diagnosis, that we have common reactions to it as human beings, and we have opportunities to reframe and define our new normal so that this is not a life-defining moment, but just a part of who we are. Um, What else have we talked about? We talked about the mom gut and how to tap into it and not feel guilty about the self-care that we also need to provide the right support to our families. Um, We've talked about your books and so many other great topics. So I just can't thank you enough for your time. And I'm excited to share this with others as well. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me and sharing some of your insights and journeys too. Oh, great. Well, I want to just close out by redirecting folks to your website. I think you've got so many exciting things going on. So um, it's at Colleen Brunetti, and I'll spell this, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-B as in boy, R-U-N-E-T-T-I, ColleenBrunetti.com. Excellent. Well, Colleen, thank you again, and all the best to you and your family. Thank you. Take care. You too.